You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Hello, and welcome to Pandora's Box. This is Kalia. And the topic of the podcast today is the sacredness of celibacy and the lost art of courtship. A couple weeks ago, I began to go down the rabbit hole of the difficulty we have in finding healthy relationship partners. The amount of sexual addiction on our planet and the perverted effects of all of this It seemed to inspire a deeper conversation as I receive feedback from others. And this week I want to focus on celibacy, which is a great topic that I don't believe that I've addressed in a podcast before. The definition of celibacy is both sexual abstinence and a conscious decision not to marry or have sexual relationships. Now, this can be temporarily or it can be a lifetime. But in this podcast, I'm talking about temporary celibacy. Some may have chosen to, you know, spend the rest of their life celibate. It's a personal choice. There's nothing wrong with this choice. It's very personal. In this podcast, My focus is on sexual abstinence as a way of taking back your power, owning yourself and your sexuality, and stop giving it away for the promise of love. If we rewind back before the sexual revolution, our society had established sexual values that the majority of the population lived by. And this included saving yourself for marriage. Most women saved their virginity for their husband. Their bodies were considered sacred and to be shared only in the sanctity of marriage. And over the past 70 years, things have really changed. Now, I was born in the 60s, and so I've witnessed the changing of the guard between strong sexual values and loose sexual morals. We went from saving ourselves for marriage to exploring our sexuality in our personal relationships to pretty much anything goes. I was listening to Candace Owens being interviewed about how porn is destroying America and she said that when she was in school in her health class that porn was taught as a normal and healthy thing to do so she was given the message that it should be part of her life now from the time that I was in school and the time that she was in school a lot has changed Even our school systems are normalizing porn and perversion. Alan Walker, an assistant professor at Old Dominion University, has advocated for pedophilia to be destigmatized. 
calling for pedophiles to be referred to using the term minor attracted persons. Basically, people that are attracted to minors. Have we gone off the deep end? Once again, the pendulum has swung so far out of balance that we ourselves have to stop following the norms being presented to us because the new norm is insane. Gabor Mate, a Hungarian-Canadian physician and author with a background in family practice and a special interest and focus in childhood development and trauma, just released his new book called The Myth of Normal. The Myth of Normal. Mate brings his perspective to the great untangling of common myths about what makes us sick. He connects the dots between the maladies of individuals and the declining soundness of our society. He brings the message, it's hard to be healthy in a sick society. I feel it's important to recognize that our society is in rapid decline, and anyone who's experienced the crazy-making insanity of narcissistic behavior can only imagine what can happen when a whole society falls prey to narcissism. Narcissistic behavior has on so many levels become the new normal. And with narcissistic entitlement, the focus on getting one's own needs met regardless of who gets hurt. There's a strong narcissistic energy taking advantage of our need and desire to feel loved, cared for, and connected. Many of us have used sex as a way of getting our needs met for love and human connection. But we don't fully understand what we're doing and what the implications are. Women who don't want to have sex with men right away often go against their own desires to wait until they have a deeper connection with the man in their life. Now, they may not be waiting in this day and age for the wedding night, but they do want to wait. And I've heard this time and time again from women that I've worked with. They want to wait until they really feel like they've got a deep abiding commitment with the man in their lives. But they end up giving in to the pressures to get sexually involved because they fear losing the connection that they have if they say, no, not yet, or no, I'm not ready. There's a lot of pain and suffering that happens when both men and women are used for sex and then discarded. Women have complained of feeling that they were nothing more than a sexual conquest for some of the men in their lives. And many women who are coupled complain that they feel used in their relationships. There's a fear that if they don't give in to their partner's needs, they will be replaced by somebody who will. Is this love? 
I think it's time we have a deeper conversation around what's happening to us as a result of the sexual revolution. Have we gone too far extreme? Has the pendulum swung too far the other way? In my last relationship, the man in my life told me that if we broke up, that he would go directly into another relationship. Does that sound familiar? When I asked why he would do that and not take the time to heal, he told me that he needed sex. He said he didn't have to love the woman as long as she gave him sex. And at this point, I began to realize the type of person I was with. Sometimes the longer you're with somebody, the more transparent they are about what they're thinking. So we broke up shortly after that conversation, and he went immediately into another relationship. I've had clients tell me that when they refused to meet the sexual demands of their partners, they were accused of being cold, frigid, and even punishing. Of course, when the partner is narcissistic, he feels entitled to get his needs met. And he will get his needs met on the side if he doesn't get it in his primary relationship. My client load is now about 75% women. It used to be more like 95%, but I'm getting more men, so that's good. That's a really good sign, ladies. So I frequently tell the story of women's challenges, but men can also have these kinds of challenges. Not all men are driven by sex, and some men feel pressured to perform when they don't really feel like it. Many men also need to feel connected and loved by their partner in order to want to be sexually intimate with them. Where sex used to be something that was sacred and shared between two people who loved each other as an expression of their love, it's now become perverted, expected, demanded, and used out of some addictive need. So many people are chasing after those dopamine highs, and then after their dopamine levels plummet, they pump themselves back up by pursuing more sex. In understanding the sexual sickness and dysfunction in our society, one of the best things we can do when not in a relationship and in the early stages of a relationship is to abstain. We simply make an agreement with ourselves that we're stepping out of the game. The game has become twisted, perverted, and highly toxic. It's no longer about love. When we make a personal decision to be celibate, a potential love interest will have to stick around long enough to really show you who he or she is before entering that sacred space with you. If that person is sexually addicted they probably won't stick around unless they're harboring a secret sex life. If this is the case, their addictions are likely to show themselves at some point as the relationship unfolds. Ironically, I've worked with clients who got involved with an alcoholic who would say after she's deeply entrenched in the relationship, I found out he was an alcoholic. And my response is usually, how are you just now finding out that he's an alcoholic? Usually what I learn is 
During the initial stages of the relationship, they both enjoyed a drink or a bottle of wine or two. And they would go out dancing and have some drinks. And maybe she was drinking a little more than usual as the relationship progresses. And she backs off the drinking because she's starting to notice its effects on her. But as she backs off, his drinking escalates. So she's drinking more than usual to try and enjoy herself with him. And he's drinking less than usual in order not to appear to be a drunk. And as they both become more comfortable in the relationship, the truth reveals itself. But still, we have to take ownership and not go against any of our morals or values or health practices in order to connect with a perspective mate and this is seriously important for both men and women stay connected to yourself now i made the same mistake many years back when a man i dated enjoyed wine and he was always pouring me a glass of wine usually good wine and he would buy a bottle of wine at a restaurant not just a glass a bottle and I started drinking wine even though I wasn't much of a drinker so within a month or two I wasn't feeling very good I had insomnia and anxiety and was low in energy and his drinking was escalating and I couldn't keep up anymore so I just quit drinking and our our relationship didn't last for obvious reasons After the relationship, I made the decision that I wasn't going to socially drink anymore. I was not going to drink at all. In fact, that was the last time that I really drank. Because I didn't like the way alcohol made me feel. So I just stopped drinking altogether. If we're not being authentic with ourselves, we will find ourselves getting involved in a relationship that is not authentic. So we need to be very clear about who we are and live our life true to our own values. My values also included not getting involved with a married man or a man who was separated or divorcing, but I broke that rule in the past as well and had some pretty severe consequences. I came to realize that I was the new supply being used to break away from the old one. And I made the mistake of thinking I knew him because we'd worked together for several years prior to getting involved. But I never knew him intimately. And as most of you know, we don't know someone intimately until we get involved in an intimate relationship with them. Now, when I say get involved on an intimate level, I don't mean that it has to be sexual. It can just be a dating relationship. Because when we start getting into a dating relationship, we start connecting and spending more and more time with somebody, their fears and insecurities, all of our fears and insecurities start to come up. And people act out of those fears and insecurities. You start to see a different side of them that you might not see in a casual friendship. So when you give yourself that that grace period or that time to get to know someone prior to getting sexually involved, you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot about who that person is. And you can even take, you know, you can even have this opportunity to look at your own fears and insecurities coming up and work with those. 
back before the sexual revolution, we had something called courtship. It was a period of time where we got to know somebody before we agreed to marry them. Today, courtship is pretty much a lost art. Most of the women I talk to are sexually involved in their new relationships within the first month of dating. And this is the new norm. But what do we really know about a person the first month? Narcissistic behavior, although it could show itself early, typically starts to become more noticeable within the first four months. I've worked with thousands of women over the past 15 years, and I always ask the question, when did you start noticing the narcissistic behavior? And month four is really common. Some notice earlier. Some say they didn't really notice until after they were married or after their first year. But the majority notice strange behavior around the fourth month. That's when it really comes to a head. Those who don't notice for years are often in denial or abusive narcissistic behavior is normal to them. They grew up with it doesn't seem out of the norm. If you know that the typical narcissist will reveal himself within the first four months, wouldn't you really want to wait before getting sexually involved with him for at least the first four months? The reality that I've discovered in my personal and professional life is that sex bonds us to our mates, especially women. We have a much more difficult time breaking away when we've been sexually involved with our partners. I dated a man uh, for two weeks once and saw some real narcissistic behavior revealing itself in just this two-week short period of time. So I cut that relationship off after those two weeks. And it was so much easier to walk away, not having gone down that sexual road with him. When I talk of celibacy, I'm not talking about just weeding out the narcissist, but also the sex addicts and other unhealthy, toxic behavior. You're going to find a lot of narcissism in this day and age because our culture is narcissistic. We breed narcissism. We reward it. We normalize it. We even worship it. So it's going to show up a lot. But not everybody is a narcissist. There are plenty of other issues as well. And so it may feel that finding a good partner is like finding a needle in a haystack. This is why I feel it's important to focus on being as true and authentic as we can be. To love ourselves, value ourselves, respect ourselves, and not give ourselves away for the promise of love. I don't know about you, but I've had enough promises of love that never delivered. I'm no longer interested in giving myself away for the promise of love. I value myself enough now that I believe I'm worth waiting for. And if somebody truly loves me and wants to be with me, he will be willing to allow our relationship to unfold at a slow, steady pace. 
he will respect my boundaries and not try and push through them because I couldn't possibly have a relationship with someone I can't have an open, honest conversation with who is understanding and, and who, can't, who can really listen to me. A healthy man will fully understand where I'm coming from and why I'm choosing to remain celibate until I really get to know him and I'm in a loving, committed relationship. No cheap thrills or fast-moving relationships. I've chosen to hold myself and my body sacred. I've learned to recognize my own addiction when it comes to love and relationships. A craving for a relationship and a strong desire to be in a relationship can cloud our judgment. We can so easily become addicted to the idea of love and project a romantic fantasy onto a potential partner. We can then become so disillusioned and disappointed when the relationship isn't what we thought it was. Sometimes it isn't just that we've been love-bombed by a narcissist. Sometimes it's our own projections and ideals. We can be just as responsible for projecting a romantic fantasy onto a potential mate as our mate is of encouraging the fantasy through love-bombing behaviors. And love-bombing behaviors can be pretty typical in a new romance. We can so easily idealize each other. When we're falling in love, we tend to see only the good, lovable parts of that person and are blind to anything else, which is where the term love is blind comes from. There are things that we may think is cute in the beginning, may not be so cute as the relationship progresses. Once the love drug wears off, we begin to see the bigger picture. The things that we thought were acceptable or cute in the beginning are now driving you nuts. And all those things that you thought were cute are now irritating. When sexually involved, this is amplified because of the dopamine highs and lows. When we're on a dopamine high, our partner can be beautiful, and when we're on a crash, they irritate us, and we have difficulty finding anything to like about them. When we aren't under the cloud of sexuality, we're more even killed and can see much more clearly. We may look at the way he chooses food after dining out with him three times and say to ourselves, this is really going to drive me nuts. If we don't get sexually involved right away, the behaviors we would normally overlook under the cloud of the love drug will appear to us much sooner and we can dodge a bullet by getting out before we've fully gotten in. I talked in a previous podcast about how we're never going to find someone who's perfect or even necessarily perfect for us, but we do need to know our own limitations. We need to know what we can tolerate and what we can't. We may be able to put up with an extra 10 pounds around the middle and find it cute and lovable, but we won't be able to tolerate someone who drinks too much. 
We may be able to tolerate someone who works late a lot but calls and lets us know he's running late, but not be able to tolerate someone who doesn't communicate with us. The lost art of courtship needs to make a comeback, and we're the ones to bring it back. By demanding this basic period of time to get to know someone before we give our bodies, minds, and souls to the person. There's an old saying, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? It's kind of a crass saying. But basically what it means is if we're in the habit of meeting other sexual needs out of a committed relationship, why should he or she commit? I've found that younger women are more likely to have a hookup with a man she's attracted to or to get involved quicker. And the young women I've worked with get involved sexually pretty quickly with a man she feels connected to. I asked one younger woman why she did didn't consider waiting to get to know somebody before getting intimately involved with him. Because she had a pattern of meeting men and feeling an intense spiritual connection with them and exploring that connection on all levels within the first week or two. And she basically told me it was it was just who she was. She allows herself to experience whatever her body wants to experience at the time. So her body was in charge. It was leading the way. Now, I'm a big believer in listening to our body intuition, but we also need to understand that addictions are physical, and our bodies will ask us to feed our addictions, whether it be food, sugar, alcohol, drugs, or sex. We can be easily addicted to those beautiful, intense spiritual connections until we realize that our spiritual partner isn't so spiritual when he or she decides to ghost us and run off with the next spiritual connection. Many men appear to be spiritual and have learned to use their spiritual understanding and knowledge to seduce women. And I know that there's women that do this too. We can't assume because someone appears to be spiritual that they are. I've worked with many women who have dated ministers, pastors, spiritual gurus, self-help gurus, and others who seemed dedicated to a path of spiritual understanding or personal growth. But they're sexually addicted and use the women that are attracted to them for a time, but then they quickly go on to the next. The women are devastated because they believed they had something special with that person. Now, men who get a lot of attention from women due to their looks, their charm, their position, their status, their finances, fall prey to that attention if they haven't mastered their own sexual energy. And so they tend to exploit these women who are attracted to them. And we as women need to be careful not to fall for the charms of a man that so many other women are attempting to seduce. We as women can be very seductive as well, and we often seduce quite unconsciously because we've been groomed or socialized to be seductive. 
We want to be desired and often mistake desire for love. So we may lead with our sexuality and not even be aware that we're doing this. So if you are a sexy, attractive woman, you may be used to getting men's attention. And if you see an attractive man, you may be sending energy or giving signals to him either consciously or unconsciously. This is another thing we as women need to be aware of. We need to master our own sexual energy. If we don't master our own sexual energy, we may find that we are leading with seduction and enticing men sexually to get their attention. We may really be looking for love, but in all the wrong places and in the wrong way. We need to remember that narcissists have strong radar for sexual energy. They feed, they feed on it. So if you're someone who leads with seduction, you may be seducing a lot of narcissists. Women, the man who would love you for who you are deep down, your heart, your soul, your inner beauty, may be intimidated by your sexual energy and keep his distance from you. You may wonder why you have difficulty finding a nice guy when you are unconsciously repelling the nice guy by leading with strong sexual energy. Now, this isn't the case for everybody, but I'm sure it's the case for many. And men also have fallen prey to sexually seductive women and have been hurt or burned by them. A borderline personality or female narcissist, for example, lead with their sexual energy. That's how they seduce men into their lives. So they, you know, these men may, after being burned several times by super seductive, sexually attractive women, they may tend to avoid super sexy, attractive women for fear that they won't stick around or are just going to use them and discard them. So we all have to learn to master our own sexual energy. And this is why celibacy can be very valuable. This is a period of time in which you learn to master your sexual energy, whether you're a male or female. You keep your sexual energy close and you lead with friendship, with kindness, and with heart energy. I don't want to mislead here because our sexual energy is our life force energy, our kundalini energy, and we don't want to suppress it. We don't want to suppress our life force. We want to develop our life force energy, our vitality, our liveness, our passion for life, and so forth. But there are other ways that we can channel our sexual energy by becoming more spiritually focused, more focused on health and wellness, and not get so caught up in what we believe the opposite sex will find attractive. Authenticity is really the way. Just as we may want to breathe life back into the courtship, We also may want to step it down a bit in how much importance we give our physical appearance. Of course, we want to focus on being clean and well-groomed and well-dressed 
without a lot of time, money, and attention. Like getting those Botox injections every two months or getting bigger muscles at the gym aren't going to make you more lovable. And that's what we all have to understand is that making ourselves more physically attractive will not make us more or less lovable. We have to develop the inside to be more lovable. We have to become more lovable to ourselves. We've got to love others more genuinely or authentically. Many of my clients are very physically beautiful men and women, and their beauty never brought them love. So we have to separate ourselves from the idea that the more beautiful we are, according to the Hollywood definition of beauty, the more likely we are to be loved. You may be more likely to be desired and get abundant sexual partners, but you're not really at an advantage to have more prospects of partners who would truly love you. Look at all the divorce in Hollywood. It's musical chairs. In a recent study showing what men are really looking for in women, the size of their breast didn't rank as important for the majority of men looking for a long-term relationship, and yet one in every 26 women get breast implants. That's crazy. What men were really attracted to was a woman who appeared healthy, had healthy hair and teeth and clear skin. Men tended to be attracted to women who were athletic or physically active. They would much prefer a woman they could hike or bike with than one who was worried she might break a nail or can't walk very far in her high heels or is afraid her mascara might run. And men were also attracted to confidence. It's the narcissistic men who want the Barbie dolls, the model women, because they are eye candy and bolster their ego. So a woman who puts a lot of emphasis on her hair, nails, makeup, gets breast implants and butt implants and spends an incredible amount of money on her appearance are targets for narcissistic men, but may be intimidating for the more wholesome men who are truly looking for a long-term committed loving relationship. So when I talk about leading with sexuality, how much attention and energy we put into being the perfect Barbie doll will likely backfire if you're looking for a healthy, wholesome, and loving relationship. And this should be a relief for many women who are brainwashed into thinking they need to achieve some kind of physical perfection to be desired by a man. What really needs to be developed is what's on the inside. I say this a lot because it's true, it's important. Work on your confidence, your sense of self, your self-respect, your self-acceptance, and loving your body just the way that you are. Work on your health and wellness. Be physically active, eat healthy, take good care of yourself. This is the stuff. 
that authenticity is made of. A period of celibacy is a time where you can withdraw your sexual energy from the outside world and focus your energy inward on developing yourself and your authenticity. People on a truly spiritual path often use celibacy to focus on their relationship with the divine. When you can reclaim this part of yourself, you can heal on deeper levels and you get to decide when you are going to break this vow to yourself and God. The deeper you go into your own authenticity, self-respect and integrity, the less you are likely to break your vow of celibacy before you're truly ready. And you won't make this decision lightly. Both you and your partner will understand how sacred this vow is to you. And both of you will embrace the next phase of your journey with respect, care, and the deepest love. Celibacy can be a very beautiful time in your life if done with commitment and intention. You can even have periods of celibacy within a relationship if you both agree. In my research, more and more couples are taking celibacy breaks to deepen their relationship with themselves and each other while they're in that relationship. They go back to hugging and holding and long talks about things that matter. And these things deepen their relationship and their commitment to each other. When sex becomes an expected part of the relationship, it can cause one or both partners to become resentful and back away, especially if the actual connection between the two partners is lost or waning. Most women I've worked with need that heart connection in order to feel sexual. And their partners often need sex to feel connected and then they feel rejected when the woman doesn't want to provide sex so if we can keep coming back to the courtship the conversation and connecting on other levels the sexual connection can be more powerful and sustainable but both partners really need to be on board with this sex addiction has no place in a relationship any more than any other kind of addiction Addiction destroys our relationship with ourselves and with each other. Addiction is used to fill an inner emptiness and cover up uncomfortable emotions. If we're going to nurture healthy relationships, we need to face our inner world, find our authenticity, and share who we really are with our partners. If you are single, and looking for a sexual connection to fill the void, consider a period of celibacy to go into the void you're looking to fill from the outside. When you can truly fill that void through being present with your true self, you can bring your authentic self to your next relationship and have a much more pleasant experience. I hope that you've found this helpful. And if you would like more information about me and my work, please visit my websites, NarcissismFree.com and Path Back to Self.
www.kimberlyjohnson.com. Also be sure to check out my new book, The Path to Self-Love, that is available on Amazon. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next podcast.